I see myself in these kids. And I think that's why I'm so like protective of them. And that's why I so advocate for them. Because I know what it's like to translate documents that you don't understand at seven years old, at eight years old. Welcome to Story Listeners, The Healer's Season, a research podcast investigating the role of narrative listening in vocations. In this first episode, our healer is Senia Fuentes, the first person that patients see when they enter her health clinic. We also introduce our staff and tell the story of how and why we started listening to the Story Listeners. My name is Michael Humphrey. I am an assistant professor at Colorado State University in the Journalism and Media Communication Department. And during my time as a journalist, I became more and more interested in the way we listen and why we listen to each other, especially listening for our stories. Hi, I'm Katie Mitchell, the executive producer of the Story Listeners podcast. Uh, I'm a graduate student here at Colorado State University, uh, also in the Journalism and Media Communications Department, studying uh, narrative listening. And before coming back to CSU after my bachelor's, I spent the about three years working in podcasting. And so what we want to do today is sort of introduce you to the concept and tell a little of the story about how we got to story listeners. So, Mike, maybe we should start by you trying to define what story listening is. What are we talking about here? Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, we are on the journey of answering that question. There are some ideas out there of what story listening is. There's a there's an education concept around it, how young people learn how to command the language through story. There's a book out there about it in sort of political deliberation, about how to use um, literature as a way to guide some of that deliberation. So story listening can take on many different roles. For us, what we mean at the beginning, so the most basic idea, is a kind of listening that listens for the narrative identity of other people. And what I mean by narrative identity is the way we shape a sense of self through the stories that we tell about ourselves and those around us. Can you talk a little bit more, now that we've gotten a bit of the theory there, about how we're doing this? Yeah, so about a year ago it started to occur to to me and some students who are working on this rather than trying to, you know, define it top down like that, that we go find people who are really good at listening to other people's stories and learn from that. And then we added this element of vocation, like what kinds of vocations do this? And so I'd been reading a lot about narrative medicine and the way your story can help healers figure out how how to better serve you. Um, and we realized there's got to be a listening component to this. So then the goal of the podcast itself, instead of just interviewing these folks as traditional journalism, was to get a little meta with it, right? We didn't yeah. want this research to be gatekept behind academic walls. Yeah, we when we started to realize that what we were going to do was interview people, then it became really clear that one of the things we could do is turn this into a podcast. By the time we finally come out with a paper, a journal article, Some of that has been sitting there unlistened to for years. So why not figure out how to share that? So we fully expect some people will be listening and say, have you ever thought about this? I just heard this person say that. Last semester in the spring of 2023, two undergraduates. Hey, my name is Kaylee Priscala. And I'm Sujin Skarajunski. Worked together to start thinking about who we'd interview and what would it look like? What would it sound like? We kind of hit a magical moment when we found actually a former student in our department. My name is Senia Copeland Fuentes, and I work as a 
friend desk coordinator slash uh, receptionist at a low-income health center. We actually want to share what we learned from Senia that day. And so this is Kaylee Perscala interviewing Senia Fuentes. What do you think the most important part of your job is? I think it's changed. There's there was a uh, important part before the pandemic, and it, I think it's now different after pandemic. Um, I think at the beginning when I first started working there, it was just kind of trying to get people the help that they needed, like getting them through, kind of listening to them, and trying to help as much as I could. After the pandemic, it became more of a are you okay? Uh, and I just think it's smiling and trying to be kind became more important. A good experience that's going to be with them through the day. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you think that your like way that you listen to people and like kind of picked up on those cues from them changed, changed like after COVID? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I always went in trying to be helpful, but also my parents are... Um, they they came from Mexico. We all came from Mexico. They didn't speak the language. So I always thought if I, if this was my, my mom or dad or my grandma or anybody in my family, how would I want them to be treated? So like I always wanted to be there so that somebody else's grandma or parent had somebody that was going to be kind to them. And then I think after the pandemic, anywhere you went, Everybody was just in such a bad place, and it was just hard to like feel any type of kindness. So she felt like there was a shift in her empathy, um, and since then it's been like much harder to feel empathetic in a way. But she said that recently she's trying to readjust that mindset and repractice her listening skills because they definitely shifted during COVID time. My my way of looking at it changed to. How would I want to be treated? How would I want to be heard? And how me showing up to any other space, how would that look like and feel like? So like I try to always smile and be kind and it, it really changed everything in, um, in many, many ways. I think that's so interesting because it's like kind of inherent the care for the people walking through the door. So I can't even imagine the like dissonance almost that being in a position like that where you are there to take care of people but it's the people that are coming in that are putting you directly at risk i i, I can totally see how that would cause like shifts into like the before and the after so yeah. i thought that was really interesting just it's a good reminder and the position you have at that point in your career is really going to affect the way you listen you mm -hmm. know and listen for people's stories and I, that's why I think practice and like having a system of practice can be helpful. Is there like a way that you like diffuse a situation through listening? Like, how do you like handle that to make sure that they know that you're there? When I first started working there, um, I think I'm I'm pretty timid and I'm like kind of shy when it comes to certain things. And a lot of times when people that are just like naturally upset or like they have that big personality they when they notice that that's when they like get bigger and they start yelling even more so then I would make myself smaller and then freak out until one of my coworkers said when that happens stand up like stand up and and say hey this is not gonna fly like I'm gonna help you but you're gonna respect me and that was just really hard to do but then once I did it I realized that as much as they needed to be 
heard, I also mattered and I also needed to be heard and I needed to set a ground and say, hey, I'm not like, I understand you're frustrated. I understand you're upset. I understand that you're having a rough, rough life right now. And I, I can't understand exactly where that situation is taking you. But I know that I don't deserve to be talked that way. So I had to like really set boundaries and I, I'm able to say those things to them. I'm able to say, if you continue to talk to me this way, I will call the police. If you don't stop yelling, I'm going to stop helping you. Like I can set those boundaries. And for the most part, people are like, oh, shoot, I'm overreacting or this is ridiculous. Like I get it. Or people get really upset and break things <laughs> and so it's just um I, it's just practicing your own boundaries i think you think that there's been like a time when that happened where you felt like after that the person like opened up more like did you learn more about them um it's hard because it's really hard to get cursed at and yelled at and then feel really crummy and then people being like oh i'm sorry but then I learned that, like I said, you know, they're going through a lot. People are going through a lot. And then there has been times where they have yelled and once they've come down, they come back in and say, I'm really sorry. That wasn't about you. Like, I'm just going through things and they'll tell you their story. And then you're like, okay. That seems like, you know, a recipe for, for burnout. Did you get the sense that that's kind of tiring for her? Yeah, she definitely mentioned it being tiring, but that human element, I think, is something that she seeks out because she can find stories where it's, like, sad and something has happened, and I think that really takes an emotional toll on her. But then a lot of times there's a twist to it, and she finds the beauty in it. Do you have, a like, a story in particular, like, that means a lot to you from working there? Ah, yes. That's a really long story, though. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, 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 do it. I, I love long stories. <laughs> um, I had a couple. They came in. They were fostering a baby, and um, they the baby was a few days old. Um, I don't know what the issue was, but they, they had the baby. And they kept bringing the baby in. And so she, um, one of the ladies told me, that they were going to try to adopt the baby. And I was super excited for them. Like they just fell in love with him and he had curly hair and super cute baby. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you guys. And then um, a week later she came and said, we, we don't get to keep the baby. And it was pretty heartbreaking and I just felt really bad. And she said, so you, you should say goodbye because they're moving out of state. And I felt terrible for them because I know they were heartbroken. And I went over to the baby and I just, like felt good energy and I said may may you come home wherever that may be for you and a year went by and I saw them again and they had another baby and she said this one's ours and I was so excited because they were so happy and they had like everything they wanted they had a baby and I was just like oh my gosh that's so exciting you guys and again like every time they would come in they would like bring the baby over and I would get to hang out with the baby and it was great and then I think it was like a year after that, they came in with two kids, one that was a little older, and I immediately recognized that kid, and I was like, what? So I look over, and she looks at me, and she's like, yeah, and I was like, wait, what? And she's like, he's ours. Um, the family gave him to us, like, we legally adopted him, he came home. And I stood in that 
front desk and bawled my eyes out next to her. And I said, you know, I prayed that he'd come home, like wherever that may be. And I think that's you. And he was like, she was like, yeah, he's, he's home. So the three of us sat there and just bawled our eyes out. <laughs> and every time they come, I'm always so excited to see them. So it's just those moments that you get to bond with them and get to share like those like big moments with, mm -hmm. with people that really matter. Xenia's native language is Spanish, correct? Yes. Did she talk about that at all, about her experience of, of English not being her first language or no. Yeah, yeah, the definitely. I so I I learned English when I was, I'm going to say 16. I knew how to say purple when I lived in Mexico because I thought it was a funny word and I liked the way it feels in your lips. Purple. <laughs> and I just thought it was a funny word. And so when we came to the country, I was 11 years old. But the the middle school that I was going to, they said that if they taught us better Spanish we would learn better English. So when I got to high school, I didn't know any English. So I was lost. <laughs> so I think I felt really honored for most of my uh, high school career. And I, I just did never want to make anybody feel that way. And I think that's one of the reasons why I try really hard to like always listen <laughs> That is so impressive. It's yeah. That yeah. is crazy. It's incredible. It's really English cool. is no joke, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's very impressive. She even remembers trying to make sense of the English when she was in like doctor's office and a ton of different places with her parents. I see myself in these kids. And I think that's why I'm so like protective of them. And that's why I so advocate for them. Because I know what it's like to translate documents that you don't understand at seven years old at eight years old or going to your parents appointments because they don't know what the doctor's saying or helping them fill out paperwork what i guess i'm curious about is what it looks like for those that don't have that formal training like what do those skills look like where they come from i think it's something that you're really thrown into and at first it seems like really daunting but the more that you're at the job, it comes with time and you realize that it's something that you've been taught. Xenia is special because she took journalism classes, so she learned a little bit of that listening, but not to the depth that we have here with the story listening project. But I think that she definitely does do story listening. She has a way of drawing it out of people and having that conversation with them. I think being an immigrant and somebody that felt like wasn't heard kind of gave me that need to hear people. So for me, it's just important to pay attention and to like listen. That helped us start thinking. We can figure out the definition, but more importantly, we can figure out how theoretically this works in the world and how somebody like Senia might have something to offer to the journalist and how the journalist might have something to offer to the leader and how the leader might have something to offer to a doctor. We decided we were going to listen our way into this research. We were going to listen our way into our insights. We're doing that along with scraping every bit of scholarship we can find about narrative identity theory and listening theory to see how that fits together. So we're coming at this from two angles. So I knew I could not do this on my own. And I got an email from a former student who was one of the best students I've ever had, 
who um, took a class called Story Listening that a listening expert, um, Dr. Elizabeth Parks, and I taught together here at Colorado State, who was at least, I got the sense, open to the possibility of returning as a grad student and um, maybe sharing this work with me. And once I thought, okay, if that's possible, I'm one of the things I'm best at in the world is begging when, <laughs> when I really need something. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to hide this. I'm going to beg her to come back <laughs> to Colorado State from Europe and South America and all these really exciting places that she was like, come back to Fort Collins. Um, I think you might really like this. So Katie, this is a miracle that you're sitting across from me. And uh, I'd really like to know how that happened. Well, what you were doing, I did not perceive as begging. I saw as like a hand from the heavens above. So <laughs> I think this worked out very well for us. Um, so a little bit of background. I met Mike during my undergrad degree here at CSU. And I approached him for an independent study, or maybe you approached me? Yeah, I think maybe we talked about yeah, it, the we, possibility of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, after taking one of his classes in online uh, storytelling. And I was really interested in figuring out how do we tell our stories in ways that can heal us. And Mike is, is the resident expert on narrative in our department, and so he seemed like the guy to talk to. And that question bloomed into a three semesters of independent studies that I even <laughs> took with me on my study abroad <laughs> and was presenting to some some poor roommates of mine, you know. Um, and and then what was so special about that is is we were both trying to answer a question. Uh, it wasn't as much of me just sitting there every week saying like, "Teach me," but how how do we approach this together? And so I think we both had that um, I'm going to say like blessing of of a connection within this interest, right? Narrative identity specifically. Right. I then went on, as Mike mentioned, I, I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to travel and live in Europe and South America for a few years where I was working as a podcast uh, producer for an agency, um, which was a, a really great time and, and being able to chat with so many folks about their communities and their lives and their passions. And I found a great joy in audio. It's something that I had detested <laughs> in my undergraduate degree. I was like, no, 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 writing all the way. Um, but I came to love it because you could hear something in someone's voice that they could edit out when they were writing. You know, it's much more difficult to edit out excitement or emotion um, with audio. And so I found joy in that. Um, but there came a point where I was looking for something new. And I emailed Mike because I remembered our niche work together and thought, okay, maybe he knows somewhere I could apply for money. <laughs> um, and he returned with the idea of graduate school. And uh, I came back just this fall, so in August. And it's been a homecoming, mm -hmm. really, coming back to Fort Collins itself, but also to podcasting and specifically to story listening. So uh, that's how we got here. And so the next question was – you know, how do we do a whole season of a, of a podcast? Like, do we go out and do it? And is that the best way to do it? And Katie works really well with students. Even as an undergrad, she was a real leader. So I thought it might be interesting to pull together um, a group of students. And I happened to be teaching an ethics class at the time in which I was kind of blown away at the emotional intelligence of many of the students there. And so I asked five of them, if they would join us, four to be reporters who would get out there and find story listeners and interview them, and one to help us figure out how we would promote this once we built it, because the point is to share this. 
Katie and I were going to lead these five people on this incredible exploration of something we weren't fully sure what was yet. (laughs) And and they were ready to go. And trying to explain what our new goal is without having any proper definition of it. So as you listen to these upcoming episodes, know that it's emerging. <laughs> like You're watching us all learn and you can be amazed by how brilliant these reporters are. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so we want to just very briefly introduce you to each one of them, not by going into their story too deeply, but to, to hear just a little bit of, about what they think about when they think about story listening. And, and, and so these interviews occurred before we interviewed anybody else. So Katie and I interviewed our reporters to get a sense of where they're going to start. And then at the very end of the season, you'll hear them again talk about what they think they've learned, what they have learned. Let's start with um, our senior reporter, uh, somebody who kind of earned his way into that that title by being the most intrepid (laughs) Um, and really going into two of the harder interviews we did, not because the people were hard, they weren't at all, but the complexities of what they were doing. So that person is Milo Gladstein. Yeah, I think it's also what you do before you start the actual interview. That's That's a big mistake that people make a lot of times is they sit down and they jump right into their first like hard interview question. And I think that talking to people as a human being before the interview can help break the ice and kind of ease into that. I'm like, we're friends. We're here to talk about just whatever you're passionate about. And And so he comes from it from a really strong journalist point of view. How would you describe Milo's growth through this? Really strong willingness to learn. All right. And so when I look at how he's been able to ask the difficult questions and you'll hear us, us really dive into those and how he's not only been willing to ask them, but answer them. I think. That's been the growth I've seen is he, he's been able to bring himself in, in a world where you're usually told to keep yourself out of it. Yeah. And then there's Alexis Austere. Alexis was really interesting to me because she regularly in the ethics class had mind-blowing insights. <laughs> I mean, truly. <laughs> and, um, and was so humble about it. She also did two of our interviews. I do think I take a part of their story with me, and I do have a different sense of care for people from different stories and interactions I have. Alexis brings this incredible combination of really sharp mind and sometimes skeptical mind with this deep, big heart and this just unbelievable curiosity. And how would you describe Alexis's role and and what she brought to this um, season? I think Alexis approached the season with a great amount of Mm -hmm. open-mindedness. By the end of the season, I think you'll see insane uh, growth and vulnerability, (laughs) right? You're going to hear some amazing stories from Alexis. I think that's right. Next is Maisie Barbosa, one of those students who uh, she actually decided she was reading one theory um, in the middle of the semester and decided she needed to rewrite it because she didn't think it was explained well enough. And I'm talking about a really famous theory. (laughs) (laughs) Just incredible. (laughs) Maisie did one of the interviews, The Veterinarian, and I think you'll really enjoy that. If I hear something I relate to or if I hear something I really like, I want to say, oh, that's so cool or awesome or me too or something like that. And I feel like people need to work on, and I myself also need to work on, not listening to respond but listening to hear. And I think that that's just so difficult because if you're listening to respond, you're only thinking about yourself. 
But I think, and you you can tell me what you think about this, Katie. I think her real strength, as well as that interview, came from the insight she had in the studio here. I so agree. I think being in studio with Maisie, she was always able to round out the conversation. She was able to look at the sides that maybe we weren't discussing yet and bring in new perspectives. And then finally, in terms of the reporters, Lucy Bowman joined us. Um, She's interesting because she's not a journalism major, but she is getting a minor in media studies and so was in the ethics class as well. And I just loved her, her openness. If you're able to relate with them, and I'm not saying making the story about you, but if you're able to bring up your experience to the table, it's not so much that you're talking to someone and you're getting their story. It's that you're both engaged in a conversation together right. about them. I love watching Lucy in the studio because she would bring in this whole a whole new perspective of, okay, but what if? I, I wish you could see the lounge that she would do where she was she knew she was in her element. And she infused the rest of us with that as well. Yeah. It's really interesting because her interest in joining us was about the way she talks to friends. She really loves deep connections with her friends. And so she was learning to be a journalist. And that was really interesting to watch the growth there, too. And then finally, we added a marketing director, Emily Holder. But I don't think I expected her to be as involved in the season as she was. But um, just take a listen to this unique and wonderful personality. Most people think that they need to really respond to every single thing that is coming out of someone's mouth. But I think the most important thing is to like take a step back and realize it's not about you, you know, and just actually intentionally pay attention. Um, and not just because I feel like listening and hearing are two different things. Like, I feel like when you hear someone, you're just like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. But when you're actually like intentionally putting thought into the way you're listening to someone, then it means more to that person. Before anything else, Emily brought lightness uh, to the semester. <laughs> um, she she acted not only as a comedic um, relief, but also in, in hitting us sometimes with an Occam's razor. Like, why aren't you just doing it like this? Why yeah. aren't you just doing it the simplest way? Um, you don't need to talk yourself in circles here. And, um, <laughs> and I I had a blast. Emily and I spent a lot of time together because with my podcasting background, I was doing a lot of marketing. So we assumed a bit of a mentorship role there. And it was just a joy working with her. And throughout the season, we are all uh, blessed enough to actually have her input. And so there will be points where you'll hear her hop in, <laughs> steal somebody's microphone to ask a hard-hitting question. In fact, she got so good at it that we just sat her down for a couple of the episodes, too, and said, why don't you just join us? You know? <laughs> because she really did. She had, There were just times she turned, she turned the whole discussion. And I think the thing that's most exciting to me is that – level of curiosity drove us into understanding this in a way we could not have done without them. We left the world of expertise and entered the world of learning because of them. I can't even imagine doing it any other way now. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. I don't think it would work. Yeah. The other thing we did that you'll notice as the season goes along is we did, and you've already heard some of this, tap into people we knew. Why? One, we needed we needed true exemplars, people who would really bring um, a, a deep knowledge of how to do story listening, even if they'd never thought of the term before. Um, and so we needed references, and we did get a lot of referrals um, from people 
Um, but we also realize there are people in our lives who we knew were good at this because they have transformed our lives by doing this. And so you'll see kind of a mix of people who were referred to us, people we knew, including my own therapist and Katie's um, mentor and one of her important guides in her life, as well as a veterinarian that Maisie knew, um, Emily's father, who's the hospital administrator, Milo's cousin, who is the ER doctor. As a journalist and a researcher, there was a little bit of concern about this. But after a while, I was like, this is the way to do it. Finally, I want to explain the format just a bit. We sent these reporters out and they did interviews in places where the interviewees were most comfortable as much as we could. Sometimes we had to do it online because people were in other towns, sometimes other states. Um, and then they would come back and we would listen to the interview and then we would get into a podcast studio that we built ourselves so that we could do this. <laughs> and, um, and we would talk to them about what they learned from this person. So we were listening to them talk about listening to the interviewee who was talking to the reporter about listening to clients to understand them. And the goal was to kind of create a quasi classroom, a really open ended flipped classroom where the learning was happening right before us and right before you, the listener. And so it makes a lot of sense that we want to hear from you. If you hear something you thought we got right or wrong or the next person we should talk to or the next season, um, we want to hear that. But in the meantime, what we hope you do is and really enjoy this exploration, this experiment and learning. And uh, we just want you to know that just by hitting play, Every single time that you do, you have entered a community that you belong to simply by arriving. So thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And Katie, um, this is a good time to talk about gratitude. Um, I am so grateful for you and the way you produced this season. I'm proud of it. And I just want to thank you for everything you brought to this project. Mike, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here to work on this project and to be able to create something new with you. And I look forward to seeing what this sparks. So keep your ears open for episode two, one week from today.